hello, Brandon. Yo, Tom Cap. Sounds like your mouth is still full from this evening. <laughs> You're not supposed to notice that. I'm sorry. <laughs> my God. <laughs> Pumpkin bread in my mouth, man. It's it's the season. You can't blame me. I can't blame you. I can't. Well, why don't why don't I give a listener a shout out while you chew and swallow, and then we'll get oh, on the scene. I'm down. I'm down, okay. baby. Yeah. <laughs> so a listener, creepy sneaky uncle. If ever there was a name of a listener to Attic Aficionados, creepy <laughs> sneaky uncle is that name. Thank you very much for the iTunes review. He hopes that the podcast goes on forever. So. <laughs> That's a long time. Some evenings it kind of feels like the podcast is going on forever, but, uh, <laughs> well, you're still chewing. I don't know. I, I, I don't have any prepared notes in this kind of circumstance. So. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good. What mm. did you cook this evening? It actually ended up being smaller than oh, okay. everyone, but, um, did, um, some, uh, Icelandic cod mm. and, um, just breaded it and did mm-hmm. sort of like a fish and chips, but, um, Ooh. Swapped out the chips for sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and uh, and some baked beans. Ooh, baked beans. Yeah, it, w- it was um, – and then I did some pumpkin bread. So that's what I'm gobbling up now. Very good. I'm like out of breath. I'm, I'm so soft. <laughs> it was kind of funny when, when I did the intro. It was clear that you had had a really good evening. And I mean, my perspective is there are a few foods to me – well, actually, there are a number of foods to me that are religious, but – Cod cooked in a particular fashion. It usually, it's interesting actually, because in Australia, the competitive nature of fish and chips, in fact, in the UK as well, is so extreme. And in Tasmania, they put butter in the fish batter. And it is just so, and I should point out, Tasmanian butter has its own flavor because of the grass in Tasmania. And it is like, it's hard to describe, but it is super creamy. Oh, anyway. Get get the paddles out, man. Oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> Speaking so, of getting the paddles out, actually, that's the one thing I could have read out while you were still chewing. Um, it occurred to me through the week that uh, the discussion associated with cigars, if we have listeners, and I know we do, that like cigars, email me, barbelay at ensignity at gmail.com, just barbelay at gmail.com, and when I get back from this road trip, I will send out parcels to our listeners. Ideally, our listeners in North America, I've sent my uncle that we talked about maybe a couple of recordings ago that built a smoker in a room. He likes cigars occasionally, so I've historically sent him cigars periodically. But the Australian customs are just really vigilant. So my preference would be to US listeners, but if you're in Australia or the UK or Canada or really anywhere in the world, I might send you cigars as well. But email me, barbelay at gmail.com, and I'll get those out to you. Anyway. Nice. We are going to start off with your topics, Brandon, because you had so many. You came with great gusto this morning. <laughs> yes, great gusto. I love it. Yes. It's very flattering. So let's start <laughs> off with skydiving, rock climbing, deep sea diving, or other extreme sports. Do you crave these? I want to start with you on this question, actually. Yes. I. Uh, you know what? I don't right off the bat. I guess... Mm-hmm. I guess uh, maybe like deep sea. I don't know, man. I'm, mm. I don't know if I'd want to see an octopus come out of a cave, but mm. a deep sea diving would be cool to see like treasures and stuff. Mm. Um, I definitely would never, ever skydive, ever, never. Yes. <laughs> I don't even want to get in a plane to begin with. I'm not jumping out of it. And um, I don't have any. When guys are like free rock climbing, I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh, no way, man. I'm, I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I guess I would do some sort of extreme skiing maybe or something. I, I can't even ski. I've never skied mm. once. So yeah. it's an interesting question. 
I need to point out initially, talking with my co-workers, they think that I'm doing extreme road tripping in the next 17, well, when I start this vacation thing. So I want to put road tripping in there. I historically, well, I'm interested in diving. And I, historically, I've done extended hiking and also swimming, actually. Um, predominantly when I lived in Malaysia. In Malaysia, part of my mother's you know, extended network was that she belonged to like a country club. And because I was out there staying with her, I would go swimming probably about three plus times a week. So I got really fit with regards to swimming. And in fact, to the point where before I'd go to Malaysia, I'd start lap swimming just to get my level of fitness up. So when I was in Malaysia, I did some pretty extreme swimming and like swam out for, I don't know, probably at least a kilometer out into the ocean. So this is ocean swimming. And in straight out. In Adelaide, oh. I did it too. I used to swim out, but Adelaide is different. It's very flat. Like it's, it's surreally flat. Like I've swum in South Australia where the water is like a swimming pool. There are no oh, waves wow. coming in and it's almost eerie because you lose, you lose perspective. When you swim through waves normally, you get a very strong perspective of how far you are away from the beach without even looking back just by yeah. the kinds of waves that come at you. In Malaysia, in an island called Langkawi, which is actually, it's literally at the coast of Thailand, like where Malaysia becomes Thailand. Um, I swam out there and I swam for quite some distance. They have these literally hills that come out of the water. So just literally peaks that poke out of the water, which you can see on YouTube and various other places. So I swam out to one of those and a large school of jellyfish started swimming around me. Oh, and one wrapped itself around my leg and basically stung me pretty badly. And then I kind of limped back in to the coast and I was near a very expensive resort. That's probably the most extreme swimming I've ever done. But I've had the bends and I haven't had the bends through doing scuba. I've had the bends for flying for three and a half months. And really nitrogen in your blood. It is really painful. It's just a horrible experience. Is, so, is it like a uh, bear hug? Like, what's it feel like? Oh, no, it's just irritating. It's like your blood. So I've had an experience where I ate a lot of chili peppers, which may also can't perceive. <laughs> oh, really? No, in Malaysia again. I did all my I did all my reckless extreme <laughs> stuff in Malaysia. The chilies are subsidized. Chilies, chicken, rice, and a, a few other foods. I think sugar and a few other foods are subsidized by the government. So you can get a kilo of just amazingly spicy chilies for like 15 cents or something like that. Or you could. 20 odd years ago so it's like this is my life this is what i've been meant to do so for probably five days solidly i ate nothing but just the hottest thai chilies that i could get my hands on for breakfast lunch dinner breakfast lunch dinner breakfast lunch dinner in everything everything i had chili peppers and my blood got itchy from that and you can get blood poisoning actually from eating too much chili but the bends was different because you can feel it in your head and your neck and your arms. And it's not like your blood is itchy. It's just really, you just, firstly, you feel exhausted, but also you feel like you're, bo- you're fighting your body, like your immune system is fighting your body. And it's just really horrible. I'd love to scuba dive, but I'm just very mindful of the bends having had it once. And what else did you mention? So skydiving, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of afraid of heights. And I think in certain circumstances, I would skydive. I just haven't found those circumstances naturally in my life. And in general, in general, I would need to know every part of the process. Like I literally purchase the parachute, you know, fold the parachute, every aspect of the control aspect of skydiving. 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, what else did you mention? Uh, oh, I have friends that do the freeform rock climbing and they are nuts. Like I have uh, one coworker that used to do it with nothing. Oh, and yeah. but his fingers, his hands, we're talking, you have another question associated with palm reading. His hands were, I'm fascinated by people's hands. So I, when you see people's hands, you get like a very intimate sense of them. He had amazing hands. The musculature in his fingers, but also like the webbing and the joints and the hands and these kind of things. But you need to be a very particular person to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know how those guys come up with that. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> I don't know how you start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. So you uh, also had other questions associated with like treading water and other things, which I've kind of migrated into this as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. the question how- was, how long <laughs> could you tread water to survive? I think. And in my case, my physical condition has deteriorated the more time I've spent in offices. And one of the things I loved about earlier times in my life was just the amount of exercise that I could just do. Now I work in an office. I mean, I stand all day. I have a standing desk. But yeah, the physical deterioration is very real. And I think when we meet Brandon, the physical deterioration might be something that you have not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe artists talk to you about the physical deterioration, but it's very real in my case. Oh, so... dude, I'm feeling it. I'm... <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Wait, wait a second. You got a standing desk? You stand at your desk? Yes. Oh, yes. dude, that's awesome. Well, all day. But the thing about it is, it's not like I'd much rather be walking. I mean, when when I talk about like my ideal thing, so occasionally I throw my back out. And when I throw my back out, I just walk for as much as I can. And I actually really love walking, but I don't get to do the amount of walking that I would normally like to do. One of the things when I go to Australia is my family is absolutely, like, my mother in particular, she owns a car, but she never uses it. And she walks everywhere. So just hanging out with my mother, I can walk 10, 12 miles in a day easily. And that's just the way she lives. So when I'm in Australia and doing that kind of stuff, immediately all the stuff, all the... (laughs) All the rot drops away. Let's talk a little bit about trading water specifically. Because my perspective has always been that floating... Like, for example, when my foot was stung and I was out in Langkawi, I minimised every possible movement and just basically floated or floated with a little paddling to get in. But trading water is very resource-intensive. I mean, obviously it's used by the Marines and other things to test people's physical form. But why trading water specifically? Well, I just figured we could compare it to like, you know, how long can you just stay in the middle of like someone's pool in their backyard just mm. treading water? I mean, it, like, I know 20 minutes is going to seem long, but could could you do it for four hours, you know? Well, when I, <laughs> when I did that, I was thinking about this with the Malaysia question because I really couldn't remember how – it's very difficult. It's, I can give a practical example to this. I don't know people that own pools, but when my wife and I go to a lake roughly every summer – and I swam out only about 80 yards out into the lake. And I was out there swimming for, I don't know how long, only a couple of minutes. And I realized I am really out of shape. Like what used to be no thinking <laughs> for me. I was like, I could actually drown. I can understand how people can drown. This is not a nice experience. But, but the thing is, I guess in my, when I was in my teens and early twenties, I just swam. I didn't even think about the concept of I've gone out too far. Can I get back? You know, I, I guess I'll have to wait till the summer to get back in a pool. But I, I want to see how long I can tread water for in, in a pool. And then, you know, when we go down the beach, compare it to tread water in the ocean. But there's no way I would swim out 
like a kilometer out in the middle of the ocean. I, I wouldn't even swim past the waves. No way. Mm. And um, you swimming out that far just to jump back isn't like everything poisonous. And aren't there like tons of sharks in Australia? So you need to understand that, yes, the poisonous creatures concept is rather interesting because the more time you spend around them, the less that you're concerned about them. Like once you've had a spider crawl on you and stuff like that. And in the water, I don't think I, I've seen sharks at a distance, but I've never seen sharks swim around me. The jellyfish was the scariest I've seen just because there were so many. The water was crystal clear as well. So I could see Ooh. down. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's nice swimming in New Jersey because you can't see two inches below the surface. So it's, it's nice to be able to know. But I'll tell you what, I took Lendon out with me one time. Hmm. We were in the water and we were probably like chest high. And I had like a, a uh, like a waterproof camera, you know, and I said, well, here, come on out here. It looks a little better for this shot. And he's, he wouldn't go. He wouldn't go like two more feet out. And I was hmm. like, why won't you go? And he goes, that's their world. And I go, whose world? And he goes, that's the shark's world. And I said, two, two feet out more? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I won't go too far either. But I don't know. So, uh, yeah, everybody says everything's, you know, the webs always say it's everything's poison. You know, there's tons of sharks. But I, I got to say that, you know, they always mention jellyfish as well. Of mm. course, box, box jellyfish. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Just like in crashing waves, uh, I don't even know if I could tread water for an hour. I have no, I have no idea. I don't know. I'm curious to get in there and try it. Yeah, I think. I mean, certainly my physical condition currently is pretty useless. But given, I don't know, two three weeks of training, I think I could probably do quite reasonably. And I feel that way. My mother still runs marathons, so I feel probably one year I could join her in a marathon, but just not this year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so. You also mentioned starting fires without any tools. Do you want to pick this up or I can, yeah, I can start? Yeah, this yeah. Uh, okay, so I went into Harbor Freight, you know, that store. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, so actually, yeah, I think it was Harbor Freight. They had this little thing. It's You know, you buy all these knickknacks and so it's like a dollar and it's like a, the flint rock or whatever. And you scrape it, it makes the spark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, everybody needs to have one of these for that time. You can't find all the matches in your house, you know. But and then I started thinking about Castaway and him making the fire, you know, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think I've ever made a fire without matches. Have Ooh. you? Yes, I have. Like a lot? In Australia, I don't think I had a problem with fire as a child, but I certainly was absolutely fascinated with primitive technology and how to make fires. You need very particular kinds of harder woods in order to do it, and you need to... Like, there are a series of things which you need to do, but I remember on a couple of occasions, I've at least gotten smoke out, and I think I think maybe on at least a couple of occasions I've gotten, like, something that could start flames. But the thing, I mean, we have places around the house which are, like, collection points for matches and things like that. Um, but, yeah, as a child, fires were... When my parents got divorced, they did this with my brother in particular. My brother was interested in repairing cars, so... They bought him a car, which he repaired. For me, at a similar age, I was always... I wanted to be a Cub Scout, but they threw me out. And <laughs> Wait, I, where, why? Because, well, I always said because I had an extra toe, which I think is actually pretty accurate. But the reality was I had to be hospitalized to have the toe removed when I was 10. And I missed, like, two Cub Scout things. And all my friends were promoted to seconds or sixes i can't remember anyway whatever the higher level was and i wasn't promoted 
And then it got kind of toxic. And the I left the Cub Scouts and I went back periodically. I went camping with my friend Alex periodically. With, and he was still a member of the Scouts. But I don't know. I've, I've always wanted to be a Cub Scout. But basically after my experience with the Torah removal, mm, not so much. And through these experiences, though, I can't really remember how it actually came about. But I remember basically every weekend... My job around the house was to gather together scraps and I had a little incinerator that I built and I would, you know, set stuff alight for that. And it's a skill which I use very, very rarely now. I used to work with a group of Spanish, group of Spaniards in Las Vegas and I made paella with them one time and I could get the fire exactly right. I could get the wood, the perfect heat. We talked a little bit about my experiences with smokers and wood. So it's a skill that I use very rarely in adult life, but in childhood, my ability to build fires to a certain degree of heat and a certain degree of, like, you know, campfires and this kind of stuff was a skill that I probably well mastered more than my peers. I remember sometime I was able to catch something alight probably in the second grade, and I realized very quickly that this was a skill that I shouldn't do at school because it, like, caused concern, basically. <laughs> but, yeah, it's something I've always found. I mean, I've had one of the things that I've do, done that is extreme is, like, extreme bushwalking with, like, minimal packs and things like that. And in those circumstances, your ability to make a fire well, just p- maintain dry stuff sufficient to build a fire is really, really important. Um, but, yeah, it's an interesting one. You also mentioned building a water filter. Oh, yeah, come on, let's get into this. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, is there an easy way or a way that um, anyone can do it? You know, like if you're out and you need water, is there a quick way so to build So my water? perspective on this is I've, I've camped in areas where the water is polluted in various ways. I've never camped in an area. I mean, I've never camped in an area that has sewage or potential sewage as part of it. I've camped in areas where there are dead animals that might be in the water and this kind of stuff. But when I did my trek in my book, Field of Chaos, the area, all the water was infested with mosquito larvae. So when you drink wriggler water, it's called wriggler water because they literally wriggle in the water. You learn very quickly that you strain and boil. So I'm a bit more, I don't know, stupid, perhaps. <laughs> like I'm not as obsessed with water purity as people are here. And when I went camping, I always had one or two friends that are just like, we're not even going to boil the water. Fuck this. We'll just drink it as is. So I guess I had various stupid toughness things. But yeah, if ever I was like, you know, the fecal water here, which <clears throat> it's coming into the festive fecal geyser season. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we're leaving on our road trip when we're leaving. <laughs> that kind of thing I'm very well aware of. And that kind of thing, I mean, particularly with work, you can't imagine that, like literally shoes and clothes and everything. I keep them separate. I make sure everything is, like, triple washed. I mean, I go through standard procedures with regards to anything that has particularly human excrement in it. But, um, yeah, regular water, these kind of things, you can typically just get away with either straining it. I mean, straining is even optional. But just boiling and also having a rough sense of the water source. But, yeah, given any kind of meaningful pollutants and probably most of the pollutants that I'd find in this country... My camping skills are probably not particularly useful in the U.S. and certainly not in the apocalypse. <laughs> Can you drink the water out of the tap where you're at? Not really. I do, but the thing is, I sent it away. So one of the one of the backstories to attic aficionados is I've suffered migraines for the past couple of years and actually had memory loss because the migraines have been so bad, which is one of the reasons I like recording this show because it reminds me to remember stuff. One of the things I did maybe six months ago was have the water tested. 
We have very low arsenic levels and very low something else in the water, which isn't particularly good. Um, you kind of can drink the water here. When I lived in Sunnyvale, which is literally two towns up in 99, 2000, if you boiled the water, you'd have crystalline structures growing in the water. And the water there was far, far harder than it is here. But yeah, you can drink oh. the water, but it's just not particularly, it's got a taste and it's not particularly nice. Yeah. Hey, Sunnyvale, that's like the Street Fighter capital of the world. Mm. I know why. Believe me, the mean streets of Sunnyvale, you'd need to know how to operate an arcade game. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, a, that's like a mystical place, man. Oh. Oh, it wouldn't be too mystical if you actually spent a bit of time in Sunnyvale. <laughs> but uh, yeah, believe yeah. me. It, it was an interesting time, actually, because the main thing was there was a huge influx of Indian migrants. So you had, like, local residents, the Indian migrants. We had a listener question, like, a while back about the strangest thing I'd ever seen in a convenience store. Yeah. Like, a, a Korean guy slap boxing an Indian guy in a, <laughs> in a convenience <laughs> store in Sunnyvale. Oh, man, the tensions were high. Like, it's very strange when you think of these migrant communities coming in. But the tensions were very, very high when I lived in Sunnyvale. Anyway, a question you asked. You want me to give you a good chili recipe for Halloween? Oh, come on. Yeah. Don't hold back now. Oh. And, but listen, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you are Mr. Pepper so <laughs> or Dr. There's Pepper, I should here. say. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have to have a cold sponge dripping down my back oh, the man. next day. <laughs> Like I'm not, I'm not interested in horrific pain. I just want to have a nice crock of chili. Well, that's interesting. I'm looking here at the box that I'm going to be bringing, and there's a (laughs) very large jar containing a number of uh, multiple alarm peppers that I'm going to be bringing with me. Okay, let me tell you how. Let me tell you how to do this. And here's the (laughs) trick. And here's the trick that I'm. So, backstory to this is that I took Webby peppers into my office this week and created somewhat of a i don't even know what one would call it like let's just say my co-workers weren't quite as uh chilly immune as i am anyway a um, panic <laughs> what i use the critical thing is scissors my wife has numerous cooking scissors i use a pair of cooking scissors specifically for chilies and i cut them really 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 fine most of the pain associated with chili peppers as we well know as we've described is the next day phenomena. Well, the gut phenomena's there, but the next day phenomena's certainly real. And one of the ways that you beat that is by cutting the peppers really, really fine. I'm literally, you know, less, well, a millimeter kind of like lengths at most. No. Is it like, uh, is it as thin as like Polly cutting the garlic in, um, it's like Goodfellas that. when they go to it's jail like and he cuts yep. it? It's that I've, thin? I've tried it with a razor blade <laughs> and I get a better cut with scissors. Okay. So really sharp kitchen scissors, and literally I'm just moving the peppers like that. But it's exactly like that in Goodfellas, exactly the same phenomenon. You want the peppers to dissolve by the time they reach the intestines. I would use three different kinds of chilies, uh, probably even webby peppers. Uh, the other thing is associated with... So I'm not a big bean chili guy. Like, I've gone through a bean, multi-bean chili phase. But my perspective is you want... Uh, and another point I should make, actually, the dried peppers that I'm bringing you, the five alarms, when they're dried, are actually almost like stone fruit. They have almost a plum flavor to them. And I eat chilies primarily for the flavor. The heat effect is great, too. Don't get me wrong. Hallucinating on chilies, nothing quite like it. The flavors is, you know, the primary reason that I actually use chili peppers. I don't think you can get the same breadth of flavor. And obviously, there are a wide variety of other spices and herbs that you can put in. Uh, but I'm looking for very particular sweet flavors that come only through the chilies. 
Uh, so yeah, it would be relatively simple aside from the base of very thinly sliced, um, the five alarms I'm into currently, I've got Thai chilies, probably some Webby peppers, maybe some other kinds of peppers, but just different kinds of flavors to give a really strong, and you can get into, you know, the various spices that could do similar things. Uh, but yeah, they're probably, that's probably the starting point. How about you? I don't know. I, as far as the, the heat on, on peppers, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not look I'm not looking for the super torture heat. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, well, wait a second. What alarm are the Webby peppers compared to a five oh. alarm? Like what alarm are they? Eden raw, the hottest <sighs> one. I mean, the thing is, I can I can eat <laughs> I can eat five to seven wavy peppers in a sitting, and a still whole be coherent. A whole pepper. <laughs> so for my coworkers, just so I wasn't like crying and looking crazy, I ate two quite comfortably, and they were just beyond you know like eyes bugging out at this point. Particularly those that had already had one. Oh, my dude. perspective is that the wavy peppers, yeah, are probably two two and a half. The five alarms are five. Ties vary. I mean, they have various temperatures. It's very difficult to get consistency through peppers, which is one of the reasons that I like them. So, yeah. Anyway, I've answered your question. <laughs> I, I don't know how many Webby peppers I could eat in a sitting. I would not eat them raw because we discussed this earlier in the week. I, w- I would never eat it raw. Actually, Ted would say, you know, like, I dare you to bite one in half and spit it out. And mm. so we would do that to people and, um, and then your mouth would burn forever. So mm. I am like ultra rookie when it comes to, uh, eating the peppers, but I would definitely throw, throw them in, um, in chili. You mm-hmm. know, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but I'm not throwing a ton of them in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, actually, I would prefer it to be really mild and then throw in peppers. I'd cut them up and put them on the side and let the people, yep. uh, yep. yeah, because it's going to be a, uh, 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 there's there's going to be a couple people here for Communal. for Halloween, yeah. And I don't know if they're even interested in peppers. I know my dad will eat them, <laughs> but I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. Okay. So uh, okay. So let's do this recipe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I I'm not really a chili aficionado. I mean, I really the the nuances between chili and like a standard like bolognese sauce with beef in it yeah i mean i'm really like the nuances i mean i when i came to this country in 99 i stayed with folks that were chili fanatics and they would be multi-bean and all this kind of stuff and it just i don't know it created a kind of explosive dynamic to the thing particularly the next day which i thought was interesting but i don't know i mean are you multi-bean yeah, I typically am, but I'm, I don't have to be. I don't have to have mm. any beans in there, you know. Um, but I, I do, I do like uh, kidney beans in there. Mm-hmm. Do you start um, with like- the garlic base? I mean, do you do it like a standard? Do you, do you have an Italianization of this thing associated it's with sort- starting with a garlic and yeah. onion base? Yeah, there is a lot of garlic and onion in there, mm-hmm. and then, um, well, once in a while I'd put some like green bell peppers in, but mm-hmm. I hadn't done that for a while. Um, so I probably, I probably would throw some like red, red or yellow bells. And then, um, early I don't on, know, though, or would you put them in later? No, I would put the peppers in early on. Okay. Um, I actually would probably put some olive oil in the pan mm-hmm. as it, in, the, in the bottom and then throw, throw onions in and garlic, mm-hmm. onions for a few minutes and then, and then start putting the sauce in the tomatoes and everything. And then, um, but I don't know about meat, like what meat, you know, I would, it, this is like something pretty simple. So I would probably just go with ground beef and mm-hmm. maybe some pork, mm-hmm. but, I've never thought uh, of doing multi meat chili, but yeah, no, obviously. Without um, 
But I, I don't know if you would throw in like – well, what, you have any suggestions to throw in? So my perspective is as you've described, a large portion of chili is a series of extra things that people can add as they wish. And the chili that I've seen in, cooked here that I've actually liked and enjoyed has always had even the onion component added in as a secondary thing. Yeah. So you end up with like cilantro, onions, usually jalapenos. I don't know, these kind of things that you can basically mix in at the end. And people obviously have sour cream and cheeses as well, various cheeses. Yeah. So I think my perspective on chili is it's a base, clearly ground beef, tomatoes, um, onions, garlic, maybe with two or one or two or even three kinds of beans. And the cooking of the beans I always find really interesting as well because particularly Mexican food, the nature of refrying beans and the cooking level of beans, I think, is what was missing with my the folks I stayed with when I first moved out here. Like they did no preparation on the beans, so you're just getting the skin and the beans and basically explosive, <laughs> explosive oh, consequences yeah. the next day. Oh, so yeah. I don't know the process associated with whether you do multi-cooking and the beans, whether you like parboil some of the kinds of beans beforehand. Maybe there's that aspect of it as well. But now I'm thinking in terms of spices and stuff, I'd want to do something signature. I'd want maybe, maybe some cinnamon, maybe some turmeric, something like that to give it a signature, kind of like different tones within it. I just don't want it to be like a pasta sauce, you know? Like Yeah, that's what I don't sauce. want to end up with. So, yeah, I would think certainly start exploring the spice rack. Yeah, and- cumin. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. uh, and then, um, man, I wish I had some like a uh, beef stock or chicken stock. Without question, yeah. You know, and then um, I I feel like I'm the only one, but uh, well, everybody here is always putting beer in it. I don't mm. care either way, but no. I, I don't mind it. But mm-hmm. I don't. I probably won't put it in. And then um, corn. I am like the only one that ever is like, did you put corn in? I was going to mention corn because corn Uh, is certainly in this part of the world, maybe slightly frowned upon, but the more you go East, the more likely corn's going in and you've got to have cornbread as well. So, I mean, corn is a a likely ingredient just because you're going to be having cornbread with it as well. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, well, there'll definitely be corn in it. Even when someone gives me a look like you put corn in your jelly. I'm like, yeah, well, (laughs) yeah, eat it or don't. (laughs) <laughs> definitely, definitely but yeah okay so i'm gonna experiment with the spice rack and i'll probably uh just do a ground meat or two and uh never thought to put cinnamon in it mm. i've i've had some strange stuff i <laughs> we came upon some lasagna through the week as one does in the wild oh and yeah it was really sweet like i've never had a sweet lasagna before but it had it had cinnamon in it. It might have even had some nutmeg. Like, it was a really strange... And I know when I use tomatoes that I grow in my garden, they're usually too sweet for anything involving, you know, pasta sauces, typically. In fact, I, I jarred tomatoes three years ago, and I put them in a couple of pasta sauces, and they were really sweet. Like, it was, like, very, very curious to eat when you have, like, ultra-ripe tomatoes that you then jarred and preserved and you know done the whole boiling process and what have you um but it was very strange to eat a lasagna that was really sweet anyway <laughs> Ooh, I, would, I, would, I would love that well you know what? i love pizza with like a sweeter sauce mm. yeah the pizza stuff was very good with the um homegrown tomatoes but i think it's mainly the varietals as well i experiment every year i think this year i'm going to keep the tomato seeds from the 
I, I did some later flowering tomatoes, which I've grown recently. So I've had fresh tomatoes for, I don't know, the past three weeks and they've just been absolutely wonderful. I like the idea of fall tomatoes. I've got early flowering for the earlier part of the summer. But yeah, each year I typically experiment more with tomatoes than I do with chilies. Every chili I've grown this year, I've kept some parts of the plants that I'm going to grow next year because I've had a really good chili season. Uh, and of course, the Webby peppers were a large part of that. Oh, yes, the Webby peppers. You had mentioned something about, um, you know, how the Webby peppers came to be. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm not totally sure. I've gotten different uh, answers from Lee, which usually Even he's consistent different answers from lee I mean, <laughs> yeah and i'm I, like sometimes he makes it sound more uh scientific than i think mm, it is but i'm not yeah. sure because he i've heard him repeat like i've heard him repeat the same story you know a million times but it's always the same story like he's he's told me several times that he like <laughs> rode the school bus in like elementary school with olivia newton john <laughs> like he's but he's like told the same details like over and over and i'm like you're so full of it art to like scream at him but the peppers he's he's switched here and there and i'm like well mm. which stories are true the ones that change or the ones that you know <laughs> yeah artists artists uh, artists normally very even the more striking lee webb stories that art recites you would never question it when art yeah. starts questioning his own stories as he has associated with the webby peppers this i think is a particular kind of mythology the one thing that i find about the webby peppers because i've grown three different kinds of chilies this year and historically i will grow at least two kinds of chilies and they're always different when i grew ornamental chili peppers they looked very similar to the webby peppers only that everything was smaller the leaves were smaller the peppers were smaller so when i grow thai chilies and last year i grew a lot of different kinds of jalapeno i mean last year was just the jalapeno blowout i've never had so many jalapenos of different kinds and Really, I'm not a huge jalapeno fan, so it was a strange thing. So I've seen jalapenos, Thai chilies every year. But the Webby peppers, when you grow them next to the other chilies, they look so different and they look like ornamental peppers. And I know I've tried to do breeding experimentation. Let me describe this to you, Brendan. Literally, you get the end of a piece of twine, you spread it out like it's a little brush, and you pick up the pollen from one plant and you transfer it to the other plant manually very laborious did that for a couple of years in vegas just to try and get versions of the ornamental peppers and also versions of some of the ties that i was growing that's not really very successful like the genetics of chili are particularly unique in terms of how they so i'm interested whether he did i mean how he actually did the crossbreeding because i've never had any success personally doing it in any meaningful fashion i do know the phenomenon that if you grow different kinds of chilies together over multiple years and you carry on the seeds they will kind of inbreed eventually but yeah, the science is is something I'm interested in talking to him about. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, one year he told me, you know, well, the like the bees and 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 insects cross pollinated it, and mm. after he he made it sound like there was like this intensive practice he did, and then and then he just told me that. So I, I don't know, mm. but yeah, either way, they're they're pretty good. I'll talk to him at some stage. I think a number of people, yourself included have uh, firmly agreed that it's good that I talk to Lee Webb at some stage. So it will be recorded, it will be put out for our listeners, and we will hear definitively the origin of the Webby Pep. Excellent, excellent. The Smurfs versus the Care Bears, a very oh, political topic. That's brutally savage. I mean, Care Bears are like, I mean, how can they not turn into like Ewoks with like spears and stakes and sticks and you know, slingshots? And then the Smurfs, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what weapons they would use to to fight the Care Bears. Oh, I just, interesting. I interesting. feel like they they outnumber them, you know, and like yeah. uh, and then like 
I feel like the Smurfs have like more magical like potions. I don't know if I'm just mm. Gargamel's influence in that, but <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I don't know. So that just popped into my head. I'm like, ah, oh, these friendly little things. What if they it's were like bloodthirsty? Because <laughs> I, when I was going through the topics, I was reading them out for my wife as I do periodically. My wife is more than the Care Bears. She likes the Gummy Bears, which is the Disney yeah like thing. Yeah. And I've always been a Smurfs guy Me from too. back in the day. So, in our relationship, this is one of the few things where our general interests diverge, my wife and I, specifically. The Smurfs always fascinated me. In Australia, they were omnipresent through uh, the early part of my childhood. But then, when I got to be about 10 years old, like, the gas stations would carry various, like, accessories for the Smurfs. What? Really? Gas stations? Yeah. So, I remember one time getting a Smurf well, which was remarkably elaborate. Mechanical well where the buffer went up and down and a rope and a series of cogs that twisted it and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, the Smurfs to me were always interesting. I never got into the Care Bears until I started dating my wife. And then my wife explained to me in very elaborate detail, because my wife at the time, in fact, it's still her eBay handle, was named after one of the Care Bears. And I was thought, like, what is this? Like, Sunshine Bear was her bear out of the Care Bears. I never understood the Care Bears as a thing until I started dating my wife. And then I realized, (laughs) actually, uh, I just lived in a very kind of confrontational, direct, (laughs) war-oriented, related culture. And my wife, in contrast, although she had aspects of that in her childhood, uh, understood the Care Bears on a far deeper emotional level. Like, my notion of, like, the Smurfs is like little blue ants that just colonize and... The whole nature of the the one female Smurf and all these kind of paradoxes that my wife dwelt upon didn't concern me. But yeah, I always thought that the, if if they were to fight, I mean, I can't imagine the Care Bears ever fighting anything. I mean, they would just use love and magic and all the other stuff that they <laughs> utilize. But uh, yeah, the Smurfs, one of the things I've liked about the Smurfs is just their ability to, um, you know, create problem solve, basically. They're a problem solving species in the fantasy universe. So... Yeah, I think it would be a fascinating war, uh, probably involving countless uh, skinned and various other flayed Care Bears. It would be pretty brutal, and my view is clearly probably NC-17, if it ever were to become a film, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I don't know who would win. I I don't know. How many Smurfs do you think there are? Like, there's a limited number of Care Bears. Yes, there's an unlimited... That's the thing, right? The Smurfs is, there, is Viet Cong, right? They just keep on coming yeah. and coming and coming and coming. <laughs> the Care Bears are, uh, yeah. I, you know what I think? Of? I think like there's the Care Bears and there's like what twenty, fifty, and then if that, and then the Smurfs, there's like I don't know, like a couple hundred, and then there's Muscles. You know those things, the, no. the millions of unusual small creatures lurking everywhere. Then, oh. the, then there's like thousands of them. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yes, interesting conflict. Worthy of a documentary, no doubt. I don't. <laughs> An unwatchable one. Well, it could be a lot, lot of blood and obviously like strange, grotesque sex rituals and other things. I mean, no, this thing could digress very rapidly. Let us move along. Yes. <laughs> a topic that you put down for interesting reasons, but let's explore it anyway. Ghosts, spaceships, aliens, fortune tellers, palm readers. Is any of it real? Yeah, are you interested in any of this? Are, 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 are you? Do you think there's aliens at all? Well, this is where it gets interesting. So my perspective is that we as humans know a certain amount. 
and we're constantly gaining knowledge in different areas and we're also occasionally losing knowledge in different areas but the whole nature of existing on this planet in particular as we do in our physical forms in ape-like creatures means that we never know everything so obviously there's a potential for a whole lot of crazy crap to go on i like to reflect on so when i was at university i did physics i did a philosophy degree and a physics degree and towards the end of my physics degree i'd basically taken every physics course and i needed to take extra courses so i took an astrophysics course with this guy who was i don't know how one would describe him he looked very much like the tallest man ever do you know the tallest man ever if you've ever read a guinness book of records he was like i don't know eight feet tall and he walked with a walking stick he was an old indian guy and he was just like you got the sense with him that he was almost like a yoda-like brilliance kind of guy basically because <laughs> he was physically huge but also slightly deformed and walked with a walking stick and he talked with an amazingly deep baseful voice and you just i live to come to his lectures just for his voice alone he started talking i mean this is an honors level course basically i had to take a course that was outside the remit of anything that i'd ever studied previously and this i'd never done any astrophysics like there were literally three years of astrophysics then you got up to this honors level course with this guy teaching and i just went to him and said do you mind if i take your course i've got to get points he's like sure about halfway through one of the lectures one day he started talking about planets well outside of our galaxy where the gravitational rules are not controlled like they don't honor the laws of physics so there are planets that are studied outside our galaxy well outside our galaxy where the gravitational fields and stuff are not obeying the laws inside our galaxy and he said one of the things you can think about is that there's intelligence that's actually controlling the gravitational fields and that's certainly a perfectly valid explanation amongst these astrophysicists that are clearly brilliant potentially insane but the other thing <laughs> that he the other point that he made is that you don't know that these that the things that are controlling it are anything like us like we have this view we have eyes we have all these things that are built up around our existence on this particular planet in this particular environment there's no reason that intelligence has to be humanoid or even look like something that you can pick up with your eyes. So maybe out in these galaxies, these are just like gas toads. clouds or toads. Well, toads are physical things you can see. But toads. <laughs> toads. Like just toads. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the that whole narrative has always fascinated me that we're just really biased in what we see associated with. Like we probably, I mean, there's a the whole argument that you know mushroom spores and whatever interstellar things and i mean i i like reading on the fringes of science to the outer areas of science so i don't know i mean my perspective is i know relatively little even of the world that i'm around so aliens probably not creatures that are going to probe me or anything like that but i'm sure that there's potential for a wide variety of things that are outside just the general remit of my understanding spaceships and these kind of things i always find really very curious i don't know i mean i think <laughs> to have a large deity land on earth and start pointing its finger and shooting lightning bolts that is a bit extreme but within the hierarchies of possibilities i certainly allow for the fact that there are there is something out there that is not intelligible by us and whatever form that takes who can tell you then get into two interesting points which are fortune tellers and palm readers and this is an interesting area because I think there's there are people that are more perceptive than normal people. Like, they're just intuitively more perceptive because they watch a variety of things. And amongst many, 
in percentage terms, people say to me that I tend to be slightly more perceptive of certain things. So I think there's a realm where you can understand more about people if you just pay attention. And I don't think that fortune tellers and palm readers and palm readers in general are not part of that thing. But you can certainly tell a lot about someone by their hands. So I'm sympathetic to that in part, but I don't think there's a science that they're following here. I may be more sympathetic than you are to these things. What, what, what's a you to these ideas? Yeah, aliens, baby, ghosts, definitely no. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. Like on the palm, palm reader thing. Uh, yeah, there's definitely people get like, you know, like you ever see those shows where like they use, um, like a psychic to find mm, like where this person yeah. was last. And there's, I, you know, most of it's crap. But then once in a while you see like some, some investigator show and they're like, oh, we use the psychic. And they were like, drive down this weird road. And there it is. It's like, oh, I, you know, I don't know if they're telling the truth, but yeah, once in a while. I kind of buy that. I mean, I wonder, uh, I wonder if, I mean, you and I watch a lot of these unsolved mysteries, you know, spouse killing spouse, kind of, you know, exposés, these kind of things. My view is you watch enough of those, you start noticing patterns. And within yeah. those patterns, I mean, the police do it explicitly. These people can, you can start exploring these patterns and probably get a relatively high success rate. When I was in university, I studied through my Again, I had the same problem I had with physics with philosophy. I needed to take every single philosophy course that was offered. And I studied a lot about parapsychology and, um, you know, bending of spoons and these kind of things. And a lot of that is very easy to reproduce. And it's really very strange that people think that that is, rather than just humans being programmed, particularly linguistically programmed, that there is, in fact, another universe that these people are accessing. Actually, they're just relying on a series of things which are relatively basic and straightforward once you actually study within this area. And it's not it's not magic or an alternative universe at all. It's just humans being humans. So, yes. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, my perspective, I spent, I should also point this out, probably 10, 15, well, 10 years ago mainly, I spent a lot of time with militant atheists, and the militant atheist community and people like Richard Dawkins and these kind of folk, primarily because I represented a group of not even really scientists, but a group of people that built these uh, system simulations, basically, artificial life systems. And uh, working around people like Dawkins, you realize that the militant atheists have a, their own religion. I mean, it's a very particular thing. And yeah, I kind of moved as far away from that as possible as well. So I'm certainly not in any way a militant atheist about these things. But I, the thing I love about science is how it changes over time. And, yeah, I think that's fascinating. We've got so much to learn about the world. And, you know, ghosts and spaceships and these kind of things, not really as much as, as other stuff. But, yeah, interesting topic, Brent. Yeah, well, it was Halloween coming up, so exactly. I figured, yeah, a little ghoulish <laughs> conversation never hurt, you know? Oh, I mean, look, let's talk about ghouls specifically here. I, the nature of particularly old Gothic buildings in Europe with ghouls hanging over people and these kind of things. Yeah. Like, just being around that kind of architecture changes your whole mindset. And what's interesting actually is, um, very similar to your trip to Italy in the uh, early 2000s, when people, particularly from here, went over to uh, fight in the Second World War and were exposed to that kind of architecture and stuff, they came back and made horror comics, horror movies. Like, horror was reintroduced just by the environment and 
being around ghouls constantly looking over you and these kind of things. So, yeah, even architecture, I think, can uh, can influence people in that light. Yeah, I was watching a, a rerun of a show I watch, you know, and um, and saw one lady called the other lady a ghoul. I was dying. I was like, what a, what a line. But it got me thinking about stuff. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ghouls. <laughs> I haven't thought about ghouls too much. Yes. The ghouls surround me, actually, but only in little miniature form. Anyway. Yeah. Those are excellent ghouls. Yes. <laughs> you yes. need some crossbows. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. You will uh, no doubt enjoy the box that I'm going to pass on to you. Let us continue. Can we talk? Is there any aspect of Halloween candy that we haven't already discussed on Attic Aficionados? I was racking my brains here. Do you have anything candy related that you want to put out there? I don't know. You have have you ever eaten a chunky? Yeah. I don't yeah, ever I eat them, chunky. but I haven't seen a chunky in like fifteen years. I had after you talked about them, I had some Neko wafers. Oh and geez, I'm I think so sorry. The thing, the thing about them is the lack of consistency. Like I had one Neko wafer where it was almost like rose water and <laughs> then I had a bunch that tasted like cardboard. <laughs> so it's just a candy that seems to have no consistency. You know, it's like it's like you found a dresser and you opened the drawer and then and then you somehow ate that stench inside. Like, I don't yes. know who said, we got all these horrible flavors. Let's package them as candy. Someone else said, yeah, that's great. Wrap, wrap it in wax paper, even in the year 2017, and it'll sell. Like, mm. how can Necco wafers still be on the shelf? There's two kinds. There's like – Ah, I didn't realize this. There's the pack of the stinky old, musty old basement mildewy trunk. And then I think there's either fruit ones or chocolate ones. Mm. Uh, so there's like a, a a pack of one that's like you're like okay I can deal with these and then there's the the ro- <laughs> the rose gold <laughs> yeah. so, so well, shoe tongue mm. yeah mm. Yes. <laughs> so bad um I don't know Fifth Avenue you ever eat those I could go yeah. for Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting actually I know probably far too much about American candy through. Not only living with my wife, but also periodically I will be late one evening thinking, I haven't had any candy for a long period of time and I'll just set up Amazon and they have these, you know, for $20 we will send you 50 things of no longer made candy, which is how I found the Necco wafers. A detailed journey into the exact Masters of the Universe toys that yes. Tom had or always wanted. I racked my brain on this one. I hit up the internet and I went through it. I had a Skeletor, which was probably the first figure that I ever bought. Then I got first, a battle first action figure. Um, no, first I probably I probably had a Chewbacca. Yeah, I, I was going to say Star Wars. Chewbacca was probably the first figure I ever had, and that was a gift. But the first figure I ever bought, like literally, my pocket money month after month after month was a Skeletor, oh. and I got the Skeletor because it was the only figure that was left. Like it was really very curious. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so this is out of order. I had a battle armor Skeletor that I got at oh, some stage for Christmas, dude. I think. Uh, trap Jaw. Yep. Uh, oh. ma- Manny Faces. Clawful. <laughs> oh, and then it. the question, I can't work this out. So I had a Snake Mountain that was actually given to me. Uh, let's talk about the really? extended. Yes. Yeah. The microphone in the Snake Mountain, the, that part actually lasted longer, I think, than the Snake Mountain. And the microphone in the Snake Mountain, I had a lot of fun with. Like, that thing is just hilarious. You see, then my brothers came into the picture, and they basically got Masters of the Universe figures that were hand-me-downs from other kids. So <laughs> we got a bunch of other Masters of the Universe, but I think, oh, Battle Cat. I can't recall whether I actually got the Battle Cat or my brothers got the Battle Cat, but that was there as well. But, yeah, like, a good 
like uh, in the good and evil, not in the good and good. In the good and evil, you'd never see like I don't know who who these kids were. There were probably kids that went to the toy store every single day, as opposed to me who went there, you know, once every three weeks. Um, but yeah, impossible to get. I had a friend that had He-Man, Man at Arms, a couple of others. He also had a Beast Man. He had a Skeletor. But yeah, I think if you went to the toy stores frequently, you probably had better likelihood. I just got the ones that were left. I mean, Clawful, Trapjaw, these are not, like, these are not <laughs> high-end Master Universe figures that every kid wants, right? <laughs> these are, this is the one that's left. Manny for, oh, did I mention Triclops? I didn't have Triclops down, but I had a Triclops okay. as well. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Cops school. I love Clawful. I love Clawful. <laughs> Nobody likes Clawful. I love him, dude. He's so awesome. Uh, what about who? Who did you like? Who did you want that you never got? <sighs> so I think or that you my, got when my brothers started getting hand me downs. They got a He Man, and the swords going together was something like for folks who do not understand. With Skeletor, <laughs> you got half a sword. With He Man, you got half a sword. And then they put the swords together to get a full sword. So, yeah, because I had two Skeletors, I had two the halves of the sword. I don't know. The whole thing is really very strange to me. Like, it's interesting, actually, even going back and trying to remember what figures I had. I told you the somewhat disturbed story of working at a fate and getting a box full of, like, all the different kinds of figures. And the, the quality of the plastic, the smell of the plastic, for people who have never been interested in Master of the Universe figures, when you got a box full of them... They had a, I don't know, it's almost like a juicy fruit aroma of different yeah. sweet plastic flavors that kind of all melded together and were intoxicating. So, <laughs> yeah, I just had a bunch yeah. of bad dudes. Oh, that's so awesome. That's so, so awesome. you've mentioned in the past what your, like, outstanding still-have-to-collect figures are. But for you, I mean, did you, you seem to gravitate more to the evil Master of the Universe figures. Is this the same thing that basically... <laughs> It was just so difficult to get the good figures, or do you just have a preference for the evil figures? No, you know what? I it see like typically it seems like the good guys are always mm. just like average looking regular dudes without mm. like a cool mask, and it's just like some guy that you could yes. run into. <laughs> you know, I'm like, there's nothing cool about like Superman. I never like Superman. I'm like, just looks like some guy. Like, what's cool about that? I'm like, Cobra Commander. Now there's a helmet, yes. a mask. I'm like, look at that thing, dude. He's awesome. And uh, He Man's cool though. I like He Man. Of course, my He-Man broke like instantly, so I never. I always had He-Man off in the corner, mm. and every so often I try to crazy glue his arm back on, and mm. it would break again. Mm. But uh, <laughs> those fingers yeah. were so brittle, so so I, brittle. I probably mentioned it before, but Merman was like so hard to get. Mm. Could never get Merman, and then finally we got him. But anyway, go ahead. One final question. I've got to put this out there. One final topic before we go, just so I can play the audio of my wife. Recorded three, four, five, six, maybe seven weeks ago. Captain <laughs> yeah. America, nineteen seventy nine. Yes. Start this topic off, Brandon. Oh, if you if you enjoy the Captain America movie or the Marvel movies that are out now, you should really hurt yourself and uh, <laughs> go back and watch. Is it nineteen seventy nine? Yep. Oh, yep. There's not. It's, there's no. I thought it was in the eighties, but I guess it's. Let me let me make this point. I found this movie far less offensive than the modern superhero movies. Yeah. And the main thing about it is it's so complete. It's like a different genre. It's not the same movie genre. The the yeah, nature you- that he becomes the superhero in literally the last fifteen minutes 
of the movie. Is this it's a different movie? Very curious. Is it? The, I wonder if it's the same one. Was the excellent uh, shield throwing in there? Well, this is where you mentioned it. So he gets towards, literally towards the end of the movie, he gets the motorbike and the shield. I think there yeah. might have been a shield throw at the very end. But, like, literally, the first part of the movie is people just messing with him. Like, they're just fucking with him for no reason. And then you get all the narrative associated with his father and all this kind of stuff. But I need to point this out just so I can play this audio. I watch a lot of movies based on Brandon's recommendations. And although it hasn't happened recently, this was a problem in my marriage because my wife always wants me to watch movies with her. And we have recently, actually. That's that's the one thing Less Attic Aficionados has meant is that I've watched less movies recommended by Brandon. But having seen, like, literally my wife sat down, pretty well gobsmacked. It was the scene where he's talking about how he now has superpowers and he could throw a pencil and kill someone. <laughs> and that line where he's talking about throwing the pencil at now, now I could throw a pencil and kill someone. My <laughs> wife completely lost her shit. Because you are now well known that if I'm watching something bizarre and crappy, <laughs> nine times out of ten, it's your fault, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. It is. It is horribly crappy. But man, it's good to see at least once. Worth watching. Definitely worth watching. Brandon, I am going on an extended road trip. I have a box of stuff. I've kept it to the box, even though it's brimming over. I'm really looking forward to meeting you in uh, two weeks' time. I may be completely and utterly catatonically exhausted, but I will try, at least in our initial meeting, to convey some stuff. I'm most definitely buying you and your wife a sushi meal at some time of your choosing. I'm very flexible about the time frames, actually. And Sorry to cut you off. Will you be here? Um, what day will you be in town? Uh, it's the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So Okay. You're yeah. leaving Sunday? No, we're leaving Monday. Oh, okay. Okay, Inclusive cool. of um, Sunday. So, yeah, it's yeah. three days and then we're leaving on the Monday. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, oh, this is going to be awesome. ToyCon's going to be awesome, dude. Yes. Yes. Oh, Cylons. <laughs> All possible. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. Looking forward to it. You've had a busy night. I've got to edit the show and put it out. It's a pleasure as always. There will be no show recording next week. One thing the listeners have wondered is the quality of content that we will put together in our on location. Who knows how that will come together? I'm going to actually buy a... Um, camera of some description uh which may or may not be useful at that time but yeah even if we don't full, f- take any footage maybe just a proof of life photo at the con no doubt listen to model rail radio or what have you will take those photos so we'll work it out somehow but uh really looking forward to meeting brandon a couple of weeks likewise tom yeah we'll do some shooting it'll be awesome talk to you soon take care yeah see ya <laughs>